0: So Mark is here, and I was telling my wife about you and how, like, you say what you think, Mark. Like, I'm a little concerned about our conversation here today. Do I, right? Isn't that
1: true? Harlan, I think you are the most wonderful human being I have ever met virtually and in person, although it was in the before times that we met in person. But I think you're a wonderful person, and yes, I always say what I think. Right. So that's nice.
0: I mean, I like how you switched that and made it about me, and um, you start with the uh, with something really wonderful. That's the thing, you know. You 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 you've got like, I think that's the thing about you. Like, I was worried about talking to you. I'm being honest with you. Like, this is the conversation I wouldn't have had on camera, but I just love. I love. This is just how this is because I think there's something really authentic about being authentic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. And yes, right. Look, we, we care about this stuff. Like people who go into the work that you and I do, we're smart enough that we could probably do other stuff yeah. and maybe not have all of the late night worrying about things. And, you know, when you work with people and students and you're trying to help people, sometimes their own stories can really get you right. Like it, yeah. this is, this is real life stuff. And you don't go into this space. I don't think, and stay in it unless you're authentic and you wear your heart on your sleeve and you just go for it because we got to make this world a better place every day that we step out there. Right. So, absolutely okay. So let's go like, who's with me.
0: Yeah. I love that. I mean, that's a, that's the thing about you. Cause I was looking at your LinkedIn and I mean, you're you're the, you're a co-founder of Tuition Fit, so you know we're going to talk about paying for college. We're going to talk we're gonna talk about a lot of different things. I mean, that's just part of the story. But I didn't realize that you have a PhD as well. Like, I mean, and I know you're not like calling yourself Doctor Salisbury, but do you call yourself Doctor in the mirror?
1: No, like no. <laughs> like, you can like I'm not curing cancer here. Like I'm not, you know. Yeah, you stick the PhD on the end of your name and then the thing that gets people more like these are cheater's glasses. These are not even like, you know, like a prescription. They're just magnifying yeah. cuz I can't see close up, right? But when I started wearing glasses like this in meetings with other academics, yeah. Holy cow, did I get more attention. Wow. Like so like but doc, are you kidding me? Doctor? No. Like okay. yes, I got a PhD. And I know a lot about some stuff in higher ed, but you know I'm still a knucklehead when it comes to just going down the street. So, well, that's the thing. Like you're, um, you know, you you are
0: very real, and I think getting I have a PhD in educational policy and leadership studies, and that's interesting.
1: What, what one what of the things is funny.
0: What is? Why do you do that?
1: You know, I spent eleven years coaching college soccer, and. I loved being in a higher education environment and um, after 11 years of coaching, I'd be honest, I burned out. I was done. It was just a really exhausting time, but being on a college campus was fascinating and so interesting. And there were days where you're like, this is the coolest thing ever. And then there are other days you're like, how in the world does this thing actually work? Like this thing just seems to like sometimes work in spite of itself. And, I just got really interested in I'm going to dive in here and really try to understand this. I got pieces, like I got a sense of things, you know, um but there's a lot more to this that that I could know and might be helpful. So I just decided sort of in my mid 30s, okay, let's go for it. Let's see if I can go to a PhD and I got really lucky and a chance to do that in a way that, you know, still help pay the bills and, and all that stuff. Cause I had a family, but um, I was just really fascinated by it. And a lot of the things that I took from my experience as a coach yeah. were super helpful in understanding how higher education actually works and how people in higher education function. And that lens absolutely translated to the work that I started doing after I got my PhD. Yeah. Um, So, and then even then I thought I was going to go be a professor of higher ed and, you know, teach in a graduate school somewhere. And then I finished right at the time when the economy tanked and there weren't, you know, higher ed jobs and faculty positions anywhere. So I ended up having to do something else anyway. Um, But yeah, this is just one of those life journeys where there's some curves. Where do you, where'd you coach? I coached at a school called... It was at the time it was called the University of Missouri Rolla. It's now called Missouri University of Science and Technology Um, Engineering School. Super fun (laughs) place to be. I've been there. I did did my book as like a first year experience book. Yes. And really fascinating place because everybody there is to study engineering. And so you get this really unique kind of person and to coach a sport in that environment it me it's like everybody's pretty clear about why they're there they're not there to play soccer right they're there to be an engineer and so it was a really fun place to to sort of coach i then made the faustian bargain i'm going to go take an opportunity i got to coach in division 1 athletics and this was at a time when women's soccer was really exploding and lots of schools were adding programs and so i went to central michigan university and um fine like good place all that but it really became a lot more difficult to sort of keep that balance of sports and academics when I was in division one, uh, athletics. Um, but you know, bright lights went for it. So you like D1... coached at Idaho state university. It was one more place. And then that was it. So you were
0: a D one coach. Were you like the head coach at central Michigan for soccer? Yeah. I think it's a big deal, man. That's like, I mean, That's like D1 is a big deal. And to be a
1: head coach, you know. (laughs) So one, thank you. Um, You're a big deal. Yeah. Um, (laughs) It was not exactly sports that generate a lot of money. Um, But I was in the middle of a period of time that was kind of interesting in college athletics where Title IX had been redefined. And so all of a sudden, a bunch of schools were getting sued. To add women's sports and so a bunch of schools were adding women's teams and there was just a ton of schools adding women's sports all at once so there's all kinds of tensions and things that yeah. went on with that um and um you got to sort of see a part of this process i ended up chairing the committee for the national rankings for women's soccer and um had a couple of names on the committee that i had totally forgotten about until they popped up in the uh varsity blue scandal Yay! <laughs> oh
0: wow! Yeah, yeah. So you've been in, you've been in it, man. So you've been in the mix. Then you went to Idaho. What'd you in Idaho?
1: Idaho State University. It's in Pocatello, yeah. Idaho. I've been there you too. You Really?
0: I have been to Pocatello. I remember landing at that airport. I remember my host picking me up, Stu. Oh man, that was uh, was it, Stu? I don't remember. I think it was Stu, but I remember I was at the Pocatello airport. And because uh, I flew into Pocatello,
1: it's not like it's a big It's a beautiful place. Um, it's really kind of, Idaho is an interesting place. When I moved there, I was told by a, a, somebody who grew up there, they said, You're going to find out two things about Idaho. You're going to find out one, it's the most beautiful place anywhere. And then the folks there will tell you that if you tell anybody else, we'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> and so. Are they joking? Um, what's that? Are they joking? <laughs> I'm still not sure to be honest with you. You're um, Just tell someone, I'm worried for you. Okay. It was a, it was a great experience though, because yeah. it was really out of my comfort zone. I grew up in the Midwest and to move out west and sort of be in a different environment. Yeah. And look, when you walk, when you wake up every morning, you look out and see the mountains, like ugh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And that was coaching there too? Yeah, I coached women's soccer there for a couple of years. And nice. um, that's kind of where I burned out and moved on to just try to do something different. Yeah. We ended up in the PhD back in Iowa and then higher ed nerd. That's wonderful. And you've and how many kids do you have?
0: I got two kids. I got two boys. Yeah. So you're going through this. I think it's important for people to frame this because Mark, I don't know, I don't know all your story and and I really like I like stories. You know, it's because I just remember being at a conference and you were, I think, just started tuition fit, or it was very early, or maybe That's it right. was it hadn't quite started. And you were just this very energetic, passionate person who was also angry. Um, like there was, and I have to be honest, there was like some anger there at how the 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 system really doesn't make it clear how much college is going to cost, and and what and what this the, the idea of transparency. And your, your passion was exciting, but I was like, who is this guy? Like, I don't understand him because he's got so much information and, and you were pissed about it. Is that accurate?
1: (laughs) You know, it's, it's true. And it's, it's, it's not just that. So we, we, yeah, we met when I was just starting tuition fit and yeah, I was probably like blowing off steam after years of being like, we got to fix this thing, people. I mean, is that OK? I don't want yeah, no, to make Yeah, No, no, it's like- totally fine. It's it's absolutely it's accurate. But it's the one thing that I think um, is also true that I don't always communicate perfectly is that. I'm actually not. Angry at colleges and universities. I get that this is a marketplace, right? This is a this, and, and that actually is probably one of the biggest things that folks don't realize when they walk into this process is that you're walking into a marketplace that operates just like marketplaces operate. And what that means is that the folks that are selling the product want to get people to pay as much as they can possibly get them to pay for it. It's not because they're evil, it's because they got bills to pay and lights to keep on and stuff they want to spend money on, right? And then you got consumers that want the product, but want to get it at a price that fits their their price range. And they want to get a value, right? That's how consumers work in a marketplace. When those marketplaces work really, really well is when both sides sort of know enough about the other to keep them honest. And the thing that bugs me is that this marketplace has evolved to a place where there's not that ability to keep each other honest and not only does it really hurt the public and we now see this you know fewer people wanting to go to college and more people really skeptical about the whole value proposition but we also see this hundreds and hundreds of small colleges and places in located in more rural areas that are struggling to keep the lights on And those are pretty good schools a lot of times. They're doing pretty good with what they've got, and they're important to that community. And so we got a system here that's actually hurting both sides of this marketplace. And we kind of need higher ed to be a functioning democracy. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not trying to be too (laughs) hyperbolic, but it's true. We got to have higher ed for all of us, all this thing to work. And so, my passion comes from, we got to fix this. And we don't have a lot of time to just sit back and go, "Well, I hope it gets fixed someday. We kind of need this thing to get fixed right now.
0: Yeah. I hear you. And um, for parents who are listening and students who are listening, I'm talking to Mark Salisbury, founder, co-founder of Tuition Fit, who I've known for years. And Mark is his CEO, and he is passionate about making sure that, the consumer understands what the cost of college is before they apply. And, and understanding, because I got I've got a kid who's you know, 17 and I'm in this, I'm in the thick of things right now. And and you know, my understanding is I'm not gonna know until my kid applies. I'm not gonna know till they get a letter that says what the actual cost is gonna be looking into my uh my contribution, plus FAFSA is changing the free application for student aid. I said that right. Isn't that right? What FAFSA is the free application for federal student aid, yep. for federal student aid, free application for federal student aid. So not just me as a, as a parent of a student who is going to be a senior, you know, this is what everybody's dealing with is you have to look at schools. You have to get a sense of what's in your price range, With an understanding that the sticker price is not going to be what you pay, most likely, or it could be. And then you have to apply and get excited and be emotionally invested. And then you have to wait till March or April. If you do, you know, if it's ruling admission and you're looking at that that next year, maybe March or April, especially with FAFSA changing, to know what is this actually going to cost me and my family when we factor in the scholarships, the merit aid, the additional funds that a school might have available that we have no idea whether or not our kid's going to have access to that. Is
1: that accurate, what I've just described? Well, yes, because it's what you described is this real muddy, foggy, navigate through a maze in a driving rainstorm kind of experience that... Most families have when they go through this process. And it produces crazy stress and anxiety. And it also produces all kinds of 11th hour surprises that, in the context of that clock ticking, right? We got to decide, we got to pick a place. All of a sudden, here's a price tag that's way out of our range. And in that moment, people are much more likely to make foolish financial choices because they're sort of over a barrel and under the gun, get something to happen and add to that a lot of parents sense that if they can't send their kid to the college the kid wants to go to, then somehow they're a bad parent, right? So you throw all that into this cauldron and it's not a pretty picture for most people.
0: Yeah. I think the emotional part is so, it's so hard because there's, as a parent, uh, you want to give your kid access to every opportunity and as a student you want to have access to a life that is big and exciting and you want to be able to dream and i think that there's so many mixed messages that make it really hard for someone to just know like what's going to happen next so so that's the problem like that is our problem right now i think we did a really good job of just identifying what 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 the big pain point is, what this problem is. Now, I want to give you one of the solutions that I'm offering because we haven't talked about this. You know, we haven't seen each other in forever. And right. uh, and, and, and I, you know, this is how I I frame it. And I would love to hear your thoughts on, on my framing is, if you are a family that can't afford to spend $80,000 $80, a year, on a private school, or even some—I don't know if there's out-of-state public schools where it could cost that—but you know, the highest private ones are, you know, eighty, eighty-five thousand with tuition, room and board, school fees. So you take that eighty thousand. Let's say eighty. Is that an accurate? Is that a fair number to say?
1: With zero, it might be getting higher than that. But yeah, let's. There's a certain point. It's like yeah. Call it eighty. Call it ninety. Right. Call it one hundred and ninety. It's all. I don't want to range. Right. Yeah. It's like I don't want to
0: exaggerate. Like I don't want to make this. I I, I want to be as genuine as possible.
1: Yeah. No. Well, eighty actually undersells it. Right. So University of Chicago, all in cost of attendance, closing in on a hundred thousand. Columbia closing in on a hundred thousand. Really? So eighty is just fine. Okay. So let's
0: down. go ninety. Let's just go ninety. Okay. So so we'll be because. Again, I don't want to exaggerate, but we take ninety and you multiply that by four, right. and you get three hundred and sixty thousand dollars. Right? Crazy. That's Crazy. the math. Yep. So, yep. so that's what someone's looking at if they have is if they have a, a you know hundred percent EFC expected family contribution, right? So that would be that would be one hundred percent. Now we know that not everybody is paying that, and the majority of students aren't paying that. But that's but that's where it starts. But some people are paying that, right, Mark?
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely.
0: Like what percentage, I know we can't, these are for just for the record, we don't have the exact data, but like in a broad stroke, like at at one of these schools, you know, what percentage of, of students enrolled do you think are paying the full sticker
1: price? So you can find this data. It's it's usually down in the depths of some of the different documents that that are data points that get reported to either the federal government or in the common data set. But if you go to one of these really, you know, super selective, ultra wealthy places, about half the students are paying the whole thing. So so really, so you're getting so 50%
0: roughly, and it's a rough number. And where can people find that data if they want to look?
1: So there's there are two places. One is you could go to the school's website and see if you can find in their common data set, which some schools publish, some schools don't. Um, the common data set sort of this fast way that colleges can get all the information that gets requested of them by all the different ranking organizations, by everybody who wants to be able to put out a college search platform. Um, the school can just fill it out once and send it to them. So it's, it's a really helpful thing. They don't have to publish it, but a lot of them do. They'll put it on their website. Or you can go to a place like College Navigator, which is the sort of data nerd version of the college scorecard, right? So the scorecard is the one that the Department of Education does that's more Mm public-facing. The data that they're using is just a tiny slice of the data that colleges are asked to report every year that you could access all of that stuff and never have problems sleeping again <laughs> in this thing called College Navigator. Okay. And one of the things is that you, one of the data points is in there is the proportion of students who aren't receiving any aid. Great. So in the show notes here, can
0: can you get me those links so yeah, that we absolutely. can do that? So if if anyone wants to check that out, they're gonna have access to this real information, this real data, because I think it's really important to understand. and. For students who are listening to this, for for anyone who comes from a low-income family or a family where you, you know, a, a, a middle-income family, and I, I don't want to get into these terms are so like, I'm like, well, what is someone, what's low-income, right. what's, right. it's like, okay, if you don't have a lot of money to pay for college and your family doesn't make a lot of money and, you know, you just don't have a lot of luxuries in your life, right, extra things, extra money then um, understand that you can have access, right? 50% are paying the sticker price, let's say roughly, but then you've got the other half that are getting a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, some, some are getting a little money, some are getting a lot of money, some get full full tuition paid mm-hmm. for it. Like This is the thing, when I talk to students, I work a lot with grant-based programs, the program called Gear Up, and I work a, yep. a lot with different populations and these students don't recognize no idea that yep. if they do well and they apply to these schools and they don't have a family that makes a lot of money they could get 100% of
1: their college paid for right yep this is one of these crazy things about the the results from this utter lack of price transparency is on the one hand there's a whole bunch of folks who are middle middle upper income families that end up being asked to pay way more than they're able to pay because they sort of overshoot in the wrong way. And then there's this whole other population of students, the kinds that we really need to and want to see take advantage of higher education because it's such a powerful mover for them as as individuals and as families. And those students see these sticker prices and go, well, there's no way I can pay that. And yet, many of those institutions with those crazy high sticker prices are also ones where if you get accepted,
0: everything's paid for. That's I've talked to, I've interviewed so many students. I don't know if you know that I do this. I have this channel called Before College TV Mm -hmm. and I interview students and I work with these different programs to help students who are in middle school and high school to understand from college students that, they got a tremendous amount of financial aid. Um, You know, this other student talked about the Costco scholarship, how they applied to the University of Washington and they were like, I don't know how I'm gonna pay for this. And they had a plan, and this is really important. They had a plan of how they were gonna go to their community college Mm -hmm. and potentially transfer to the university. Because I think every single person, if there's a takeaway from this conversation, there's gonna be two. One is tuition fit and understanding what that resource is Number two is going to be to understand that you, every student, should have a low cost plan, a low cost path. When they're applying to schools, when there's uncertainty, what that sticker price is going to be, making sure there is a pathway through a community college, through an in state institution, through a gap year, like having two plans with an understanding if we don't get the money, We don't get the funds and the assistance, then you're going to do this other plan, and you're going to end
1: up in the same place either way. That's the way. I mean, this is one of the things that Tuition Fit Project has produced. Is you know we have thirty thousand ish price points that different students have gotten at different schools, and the narrative is that all college is too expensive, right? That's the thing you see when you see all these you know clickbaity headlines. The reality is that for most students, not all, and there's some work we got to do there, but for most students, there is an affordable path. There absolutely is an affordable path. And that path absolutely should include students thinking about going to a two-year option and then transfer to a four-year school There's some I mean, for example, here in Illinois, there's an amazing program where go two years at one of the community colleges, transfer into one of the publics, University of Illinois, and everything's lined up. So you are guaranteed to graduate in four years in the program that you want. And it is a wonderful low cost option and it's required by the state and they've organized it so that all the credits transfer the way they should. It's a brilliant option and it's amazing how many people just don't know
0: about it yeah and i and i know that in the state of california they Same have yep. an incredible community college system and and then i had a student i did a um i do a lot on on social media like i do a lot on instagram and tiktok instagram i did this post about going to community college and the student talked about how they went it was a, i think it was a student from new york or connecticut and they went to their community college they did two years there they were working And then now they're going to Drexel and Drexel is really interesting because I know Drexel has like an experiential component Mm -hmm. where you work. And I, and this, this student in community college, pretty much, it looks like they created their own Drexel experience. And then now Drexel is giving them a a scholarship and I don't know exactly how much it's going to cost, but they're community college transferring to Drexel and um, they're going to live an amazing life. Like, yeah. Like there are so many options. And I know that we started with, okay, there's that There's that school, these schools that have the sticker price of $80,000, $90,000. And I want to mention, there's another student who I interviewed um, from this project, from this Gear Up, University of Washington Gear Up program. They had three students who I interviewed who went to Stanford. Um, full full tuition, everything paid. Everything paid. For it. yep. everything paid. It's another one of those. And, and there's there's more schools that are doing this, but I also want to hit that. But I also know we have, a lot of listeners who are you know, middle income, middle, higher income that fall into that that donut, that hole where you've made too much money to get all this financial aid, but you also don't have $360,000 or however much it's going to be for four years at a school where your contribution is supposed to be 100%. So for those families, that's a really scary reality because right. now their kids aren't going to have access if if they if they don't get that aid. So my my question, and this is, there isn't just one answer, but is there a school? Is there a school? And I get uncomfortable asking this because there are lots of different answers. But I'm curious to get yours, Mark Salisbury, uh, CEO of Tuition Fit. Is there a school in your opinion? that is worth $360,000 for a bachelor's degree. Is there a school that's worth that where you get a return on your investment if you have to finance that education?
1: Hogwarts, maybe, Um, no. N-O, underline three times, four exclamation points, no. And one of the reasons I say that so emphatically is because I'm gonna pull the PhD card here. I'm really sorry. Look, 60 years of what we know about college students' success in college and after college, 60 years of research on that stuff, over and over and over, what we find is when you account for what students do while they're in college, The school that they actually went to, the price tag that they paid just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. We want students to graduate from college with the belief, with the knowledge that they're the ones that earned their learning. They're the ones that made themselves who they are. The school was just the place they happened to go to get some of that learning. They had great professors and they had some knucklehead professors and everything in between. They're the ones that got where they got. And then they're in a position to go out and whatever is out there, they have the financial flexibility to pursue whatever it is they have become. That's what we want, right? And we know over and over and over that for students, if you really sink your teeth into your education, and add to it the things that you need to add, the story about the community college student you just mentioned who got jobs and basically constructed their Drexel experience at a community college in California. That student is the is the reason that they are who they are. And you can do that for way less than $360,000 over four years.
0: Now, if somebody, but if someone has the money and that's something that they want to invest in and and mm-hmm. and it's accessible, then that's a one, you know, that's. They're blessed and and, and that's great yep. that they can do that. Great for them. Um, you know, I get notes from, I get messages from someone who says, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be fifty thousand dollars a year in loans that they have to take out. So it's two hundred thousand dollars that they're going to have to finance for this education. And you know, my answer is that's a lot of money for an undergraduate degree. It's a lot of money to have to finance. And when you graduate, um, if you're paying this back. You know, you have to budget for that and make sure you have a job. And you know, it's it's a lot. And I and I really there's 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 so many answers to this, but I see so many different paths. And there's the book Where You Go Is Not Who You Are mm-hmm. by Frank Bruni, Frank Bruno and Um Frank Bruni, not Frank Bruni. Bruno. Yep, Bruni. Frank, right. Well, I'm calling Frank Bruno. Frank, I said this name a million times. Frank Bruni, B-R-U-N-I. And then we have Denise Pope, who I've talked to, who's a founder of Challenge Success. And Denise uh, has been running data and sharing data about college success and exactly what you just said. It's not where you go, it's what you do. Uh, There's there's evidence about that. And then I know Jeff Salingo has been offering really great contributions in terms of just the college process and also finding schools where you can get more merit aid. Um, finding paths. I talked to a student who was offered admission to Brown and a state university honors program with no cost. Brown was going to cost him about $240,000. His family didn't have the resources to pay that. So he was going to be financing several, you know, he's going to be financing a lot. And he went through that process and on his own decided he was going to go to the honors program at the state school and get a free ride. Right. And his life is going to be wonderful. So I just want to, you know, I just want to emphasize that there are so many students who are going to live wonderful lives. And if the tuition doesn't fit, it is okay because we need to have other paths. Right. And, and, and it will work. So we've established that this is this has been very productive, Mark. I feel like we're really doing good work here. You know, it's like this thing is so complicated and and i think that that it is so hard to understand how can i be okay whether mm-hmm. i'm a student or a parent or and 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 what are the different paths so so now let's say you are a student and you want to go to you want to go to a dream school and you just don't know what that's going to cost you so how can you help someone to get a better sense of what that will look like for them.
1: That's a big reason why I started the tuition fit project was how do we make it possible for people to find out sort of verifiably from a third party, from an independent source, what's the price tag going to be for people like me at school X or Y or Z? And then the the sort of other way of looking at that is that, family that starts the process by saying, look, we've got $25,000 a year to spend on college. We can't go over that. So which schools should we look at to be able to find a source that can give you a sense of which schools those sh- that would be, right? And get you started in the right track. So the Tuition Fit Project was built around the idea of the only way to get that data is to get the public to share it, to crowdsource this information by crowdsourcing their financial aid offer letters into a central location, anonymize those letters, make sure everybody's personal information is protected and make it a free exchange. So if you share an award letter, the tuition fit, now you get to see all the offers that other students like you've gotten from whatever schools they got, got them from. So that's how tuition fit started and it was useful for people. It is useful for people just at the end of the process, just to be able to know clearly what's the price I'm actually getting on this award letter, because making sense of those things, a whole nother problem. But then too, just to see, is this a fair price? How does it compare, right? So people started doing it that way and d- using tuition fit for that purpose. Once they started doing that, that same data set becomes incredibly helpful for people a year earlier. So now we've been doing this for five years. So if you're just starting the process, you could come to Tuition Fit, you plug in your unweighted GPA, and you plug in an estimate of your EFC. And I can show you, here's all kinds of offers that students like you've gotten from all kinds of schools. And then you can just start filtering it by price range. And very quickly, you find out, yeah, um, I'd love to go to Lafayette, but Lafayette's going to be $75,000, and that's not going to work. But, huh, interestingly, uh, Marquette's going to be thirty. Wow, I didn't know that. I thought Marquette and Lafayette are about the same, they, big schools, right? Private. Huh, now I know. This allows people to build that college list around financial fit. And move forward with some confidence that they're not gonna get surprised. So the thing that jumps out at me, I think it's
0: awesome. I mean, it's 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 great. It's it sounds like a, an amazing way to have a starting point. And the the part that jumps out at me is like, how do you know, Mark? Like there's so many variables with each student, whether it's a student who writes a stronger personal statement, who then can get a scholarship, or you know, or in terms of like, the the efc of um i don't know how like that you know how that changes from person to person based on if they own a house or rent a house or if there's if they're from a particular demographic or like how do you account for all of those other details when it comes to a student profile and a family profile
1: yeah this is one of the things you said earlier that I think is absolutely spot on with this whole thing, this whole college search uh, malaise, is that we have a lot of things that, as a public that we think we know, and we think is, it seems reasonable, right, that thinks it would be this way, um, and we, didn't, we don't have any information to demonstrate that it's actually not, and so we sort of operate on lots of assumptions, right? Um, one of those assumptions is, is like the more expensive the school, the better it is, right? That whole premise that, you know, we just talked about blowing up. One of the other ones is all these different factors that go into uh, a college application, right? And all the different demographic things and the notion that colleges, you know, look at all of these different factors. Now, there's a subset of schools that don't because they don't have a choice. They just take whoever they can get because They're just trying to keep the lights on, and that's actually more than 50% of colleges and universities out there. But then there's that other subset of schools that can use this term, we can shape our class because they have so much interest, right? But all of those variables we're talking about are the variables that are about admission, right, getting in, right? That actually doesn't translate to assigning a price. So. All the factors that we talk about when we talk about, you know, wanting students from different states or from a different demographic, um, gender, race, can play the oboe, whatever it is, those are all factors that go into the decision about being admitted, essay, all that stuff, right? But when it comes after the decision is made to be admitted, all those things, all those accepted students go over to the financial aid office, And then they get assigned a price. And the assigning of price is primarily two factors. What's your family's financial situation? And what's the student's academic profile? Just basic academic profile. Now, at the super selective places, the academic profile part sort of gets washed out because everybody's up near the top of the academic profile. right? You sort of bang your head up against that ceiling. And so the only thing is the factor is is about need. Then the rest of the schools, need and merit begin to sort of play together. So when you get to price, if you just know those two variables, you can get a pretty good ballpark about what your price is going to be. Now, it might vary. $500 here because you're willing to say I'll be a physics major when I show up <laughs> just to get that $500 in the first year. Um, there, there might be a little variation there, $1,000 for being able to play the oboe. But when we're talking about a sticker price that's $85,000, and your type of student generally is going to be, I don't know, $50,000, $500,000, 1000 one way or the other, that's kind of chump change, <laughs> right? Um, so if you know that stuff, then you can start to organize and essentially reverse engineer how colleges do their pricing. Yeah. And that's what you've, so you've done that over the course of five years
0: and, and then in terms of data, I would imagine it's pretty hard to get a substantial amount of data to help you to tell the stories at so many institutions, you know, how much data do you have and and how accurate have you found it to be?
1: Well, the nice part is when you have an actual award letter from an actual student type, that's as accurate as it gets, right? And because this system is, I want to see what students like me are getting on prices, I'm motivated to put in accurate numbers. I'm not going to inflate my test score or inflate my GPA or put in an EFC that's way lower than what is actually my EFC, because then that doesn't help me. Now I'm seeing a bunch of prices that I have no shot at anyway, right? So students are putting in accurate information and we've been able to triangulate that by doing a bunch of other things to sort of test. Oh yeah. Verifiably that turns out the student did put in the right information. I think I was, I was thinking more of like, you
0: need, you know, a certain number of financial aid offers for a certain number of schools to create a data set that's going to then be reflective. Um, Like, how do you, so like, how do you have enough data to be able to tell me, what it's gonna cost if my kid wants to go to Ohio State or wants to go to Elon or wants to go to St. Leo University in <laughs> Florida. You, do, do you have that information? How do you collect that? How do you get it? Do you need help getting that? I'm
1: curious. Yeah, that that's actually the, the, the challenge with this is, and it was our challenge early on, is the only place to get this data is from the public and it's one data point at a time, right? So for a number of years, our weakness, our Achilles heel has always been, we're never gonna have data points for every type of student at every institution. You know, you mentioned the tiny, small liberal arts college somewhere in the middle of Iowa, they only get 2000 applications a year, right? So tough to find, tough to get somebody to share that. Whereas we got tons of data from Ohio State (laughs) just because lots of people wanna go there, right? Um, What we've now are able to do because we have enough data as we can start to triangulate and fill in the gaps. And we've been starting to do that just this last year to be able to say, look, we know that that same student's price at St. Leo's is X. And we know that a student like them's price at Stetson is Y. And we know a student like that's price at, oh, I don't know, University of Tampa is Z. So therefore, we can start to triangulate and say, okay, so a student just above that is going to be up here instead, or a student just below that's going to be down here instead. We can start to fill those gaps in. Um, Once you get underneath the hood of of higher ed, and, you know, I've spent enough time in the data to know this stuff, I'm terrible at parties. Like, this is the only thing I know about. So I can just talk about, and, you know, I'm always by myself with the punch bowl. But the once you know all this stuff, you can start to triangulate and 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 public can do that too, even with the data set that we have, right? They can see that, oh, okay, looks like the colleges that are in my price range, they're all regional public institutions. Right. They're not the flagships. They're not the brand name. okay. So now I know that's the kind of school that I need to look at. Or they're all flagships, but they're in state. Okay, that helps me, right? So people are able to triangulate and and sort of make leaps from there. But the core problem is still, we need the public to participate in this project to solve the problem. That's the whole point of crowdsourcing. Right, so um, if there's anyone
0: out there who has a financial aid offer and they want to share that with you, is that that something that you'd like me to ask people to do? I mean, is that- I
1: would love that. This is how tuition fit works. They go to tuitionfit.org, create a free account, upload an award letter, get to see a bunch of stuff. It helps them for sure, but it's a huge benefit to thousands of others who are trying to do the same thing, trying to see prices.
0: Is there a risk if somebody shares that in terms of their privacy, their data, you know, how do you protect them?
1: It's a great question and it was one of the big things that we thought a lot about when we started the process. We first thing we do when somebody uploads an award letter is we redact we first of all we make sure it's real. And I you'll find this maybe somewhat interesting. We've had, as we we've had five different instances where somebody uploaded clearly an erroneous award letter that they made intentionally. We know enough about this stuff that we were able to identify all of those. Wow! Um, in each case, they were uh, people who worked in college admissions at different institutions. <laughs> Why would they do that? Like, what was? I the- don't know. I don't know. I think they were just testing the system. Yeah, and. But, you know, when you have a Pell Grant amount that doesn't match the year in which the award letter is, well, you can see that right away. So right. when you have this, so we caught all of them and just, you know, said, hey, can we help you? And, you know, tried to be nice about it. But we, first of all, verify it's a real letter. Yeah, And then we redact all of the private information on that letter, any kind of yeah. temporary ID, name, address, phone number, even if this the first name is somewhere in the middle of a paragraph from a mail merge kind of thing, we will block all of that out. And then before we can put the letter in the system, we actually show that redacted version back to you and say, are you good with this? And sometimes people come back and say, no, can you also redact this or that? Sure, if we can possibly do that and still have the letter have integrity, we're glad to do that. So we have that process in place, and then once the person approves that letter, we destroy the unredacted version. So we don't even have it anymore. So it's just the anonymized stuff. And then we never sell, rent, lease, anybody's data to anybody. That's one of my like big things about what's corrupted this whole college admission system is the selling of people's data. Right. So We, we just don't do that. And then roughly, like, how many letters have you processed? We have two ways of getting data. One is people actually coming and uploading letters and there's tens of thousands of those. And then we also have folks that are just like they're in the college admissions process or they run a platform that, that gathers some of this information that people will manually type in how their award letter lays out. Yeah. And we've got a number of those that have been contributing to the data set just to make it bigger. So gotcha. between those and we vet the ones that are just the data points to make right. sure they're accurate, there's 30,000 some price points in the data set. Wow. How do you get tens of thousands? It seems that's wild. We have just worked our tail off to get the public to say, to tell the public, look, if you want to make sure you've got a fair price in college, yeah, this is the only way to do it. There's no other way to see this right. stuff. So how do the schools, how does higher
0: ed respond to this? And um, are they encouraging of what you're doing?
1: This has been a massive shift. So when I started this thing, uh, there were a lot of schools that were angry. A lot of admissions people that were angry. Like, you're sharing our secret sauce. This is not, we don't like this. Five years later, it's a very different story. Most colleges now figure out that they know now that their sticker price scares people away far more than it attracts people. But they're sort of stuck in a system where they just always do the same sticker price is crazy, lots of discounts, hopefully it works out. So when there's a source that independently can show people that that sticker price isn't what you'd pay, that actually helps these schools an awful lot. The second thing is happening is that colleges are recognizing we kind of need to know what our competitors' prices are. Like it's a bananas thing to think about a marketplace where you literally don't know what your competitor is selling your product for until the very last minute. That actually hurts you. So colleges have started to recognize you know what? The transparent marketplace might actually be good for everybody. So there's just been this crazy shift over five years where five years ago I was, you know, maybe needed security you
0: know, well, that's the thing. Like, I mean, really, we started the conversation with with me saying, you know, with Mark, like I was a little bit uncomfortable. Like I actually, I, I, because it's so controversial. It's so controversial when I, when I met you and, and, you know, I remember that. I remember the look on your face of like, Oh, I just didn't know, man. Like, you know, it wasn't, I, I am someone who takes a lot of time to process information and I'm very data oriented and 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 i and credibility is really important like even the part of like you having thir- saying you've 30,000 submissions you know, like that sounds like a lot like i'm going to be honest with you i'm always going to be honest with you i'm like I, is he, is he exaggerating that number like how do you have 30,000 over the course of 5 years because that would be like you know 6,000 a year and for a startup like that's hard so you know
1: and it's been a con, but that's that's what happened right Right. And we we've gotten data from sort of, you know, like I said, we get a bunch of data from some organizations that just give us the data. We don't have the award letters with it, but we've vetted it enough to know that they know what they're doing. Then we've done a lot of work with nonprofits around the country um, where they just agreed to put all their data into tuition fit because for them in particular they need to be able to help every single student they work with find a financial fit. If you send a kid off to college and there's no chance that kid's going to graduate because the cost is too high, essentially you've failed in college access world. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I see who's incentivized and it's, it's great. It's really cool. I mean, it's like, it's, it's, it's fascinating and it's valuable information and you've put your heart and soul, like really your heart and soul into doing something that was not looked at kindly. And uh, you've you've had to fight for that to create this transparency. Um, when it comes to, there's two questions I have. I wanna make sure I get, I always have more. There's two that are just top of mind. One is, so someone gets this number for the first year of what the affordability will be for the first year, but tuition's changing year to year. And people's, uh, if they're filling out a FAFSA every year, I imagine their EFC can change year to year based on their income. Is that correct? Yes. Right. So what you're getting the first year may not be reflective of what you're getting year two, three, or four. So how does someone factor that in when planning on their their
1: college expenses? That's a really important question. And, And there's a couple of things. One is there are a few colleges and universities around the country that lock in their price for four years. That do tuition guarantees. They're usually pretty clear about that because they think that's their selling point. That's a great situation because now you're locked in. The second thing is when you get your financial aid offer letter, you really have to look at all the line items that you've got, all of the aid that you've got, especially scholarships and grants, and look and see what is what are the details on that award. So some of them will be what folks like me call front-loaded, where we just give you a bunch of money, but it's only one-year money, and you don't pay attention, you don't see that, you don't look at it, and and all of a sudden, the second year, you're panicking because suddenly they're gone, right? The other one is a little bit more duplicitous, where the school says, well, this is a four-year scholarship, and to renew it, we have criteria. And then you look and you find out that the renewal criteria are a 3.8 GPA in wow. your freshman year. so And sure enough, they know that a whole bunch of students don't get that money in the second year, but it's a four-year scholarship, quote-unquote. They've done that? Like, that's
0: it. legit? Like, they'll make that threshold so high, that GPA oh, requirement yes. that high? Yes, I didn't, absolutely. I didn't, hear, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah that's, that's that. not uncommon. It's not every scholarship. A 3.8 out of four, that seems um, a little – I've seen like a 3.0. But yeah. like, you've seen it that high?
1: I have. Wow. I have. wow. I've seen 3.5 be more common
0: than 3.8. Where do you have to see this? So when someone gets their financial aid award letter and it's listing the scholarships, and I know you have a, you did a whole thing on this. You Mark's got great resources. He did kind of a screen share where he went through a financial aid letter. So I'm not going to get into all the details of, of the different lines, but like, where does someone see in terms of the scholarship, where those details are?
1: Um, A great way to do it is go to that school's website and then in their search window, just type in the name of that scholarship and then it'll come up. Right. So they found it.
0: So in that aid letter, you're going to see the name of the scholarship, but you're not going to see what the requirements are.
1: No, no, no. So you won't, you won't, you, there is no mandated template for the financial aid offer letters. And this is a big discussion at the federal level and a number of state levels. And as a function of that, you can get, all kinds of stuff you can see financial aid offer letters where it tells you that the loans that are in the award that are woven in there that look sort of like grants but they're loans and then it'll tell you that if you take those loans then you have no out-of-pocket costs because apparently it's a different pair of pants <laughs> where you pass the loans like it doesn't it's a crazy thing to say but you see it right there in black and white so I, you have to be really careful
0: Yeah. I mean, that's so important for everyone to recognize that when you get this financial aid award letter, that there can be a spot where it says loans, and these are the federal loans that they're offering you. And they then factor that into your total, uh, what your total cost will be. And uh, they factor that in. So if it's 5,000, that's $20,000 in loans over the course of four years. Another area that can be confusing is work study, the Mm -hmm. work study line item. Because work study is not money, you're guaranteed to get work study. You know, you could describe work study. What what is the work study piece?
1: Yeah, the work study piece is this, you know, sort of federal policy that says that if you qualify based on your financial situation, we'll say that you qualify for work study. That means that if we have a job that we've determined to be work study, and if we have that job that's available when you show up in the fall. And if that job doesn't conflict with your classes, well, then you can apply for it. I'm going to say you're going to get it. We just could apply. And it's not taken off your bill. It's then you you get a check, right? You get direct deposit. And then the hope is you'll use that to pay for some, your books or something like that. But right. the problem, of course, is that you had to pay for your books at the beginning of the semester. You didn't get your work study first check until the end of September, like the whole thing is a goofy system, very confusing and 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 then you get these
0: bills and you have to pay the money in the summer before you start or whenever right. your term is and and you may need help paying paying that. The other part is um, so you got our work study, you got your scholarships, and then are they one-time? are they renewable? And then is there anything else that someone needs to keep an eye out for
1: when they get that financial aid? offer the big one that i see is schools will include not just do they have the loan sort of mixed in with the grants but it is not uncommon for schools to include a parent plus loan in the award right and it's just another one of the loans it looks you know like it's a part of the mix and not only is it a loan but It's a loan your parents have to take out, not you as a student, and your parents still have to qualify for that loan. And you won't find out if your parents qualify for that loan until sometime late July.
0: Wow. And those loans are not subsidized. Those are unsubsidized. And for people who don't know the difference between subsidized and unsubsidized, someone shared with me, unsubsidized are unfortunate because (laughs) they start accumulating interest. Once that money hits your account, subsidized right. loans don't start accruing interest until once you graduate or are no longer a student. Correct. Right. And the government will subsidize loans and subsidized loans are most advantageous. Those are the ones you would want, but then the parent plus loans are the ones that are more like private loans where they also could be shopped and there can be different rates privately. And you know, it's, it's a whole different category. Of loans that are included in that financial aid statement, so it's just something to be aware of. That, like you know, especially if you're a first gen student, like how do you know this?
1: Right, you don't, and unless you, you know, unless you're a first gen student that's lucky enough to have found you or found a tuition fit YouTube video or something, you just don't know. I'm going to work on that. I mean, that's
0: that's also part of the mission is to really set people up for success, so they have the information. So Mark So let's say somebody goes to tuition fit they put in the data they get this number is that number the number that includes the federal loans you know is that money that includes like yeah. is the is the dollar figure that someone sees at tuition fit is that really what they're is that what they're going to pay or does that include some of the other items we just mentioned you know like work study and and other Right
1: things? The way that we tried to frame this and think about it in our head is what's the number that's going to be on your bill? So, if you get the bill tomorrow, can we, from that award letter, figure out what's the number that's going to be on your bill? So, plus loans, throw them out. Work study, throw them out. Everything in that award letter that isn't real, that isn't for sure, that it wouldn't then help you out on your bill, we're going to throw it out of the mix. The other thing that we use in tuition fit is we, we use what's called the direct cost. Cause when you talk about your bill, you're talking about your tuition fees, room and board. That's the stuff that's going to be on your bill. Yes. There are these other costs, books, living expenses, like all these other indirect costs, they call them. And that's stuff you got to think about, but that's different for every different student. And so, when you start comparing cost of attendance student to student, it's a lot harder to really make it individualized. If you stick to those direct costs, what's going to be on your bill, now it's really apples to apples. But we really try to get down to this is the number that's going to be on your bill. And for a lot of folks, when they put data into tuition fit and then they actually see it, they're sort of shocked because they were under the impression that their price would be different. Right. Higher or lower. What's the right. shock? Is a shock the, that they're oftentimes shocked at it that the, their bill is going to be higher than even they thought it was going to be. And that's, they've looked at all the scholarships they thought about right. how it's going to be great. It's right. So you said, and I just
0: want to clarify. So when you get that tuition fit number, that does that include like the, the school fees, the cost, the the other costs, or is that just like, you know, what, what exactly was it?
1: It does not include travel. Books, lab fees, your phone costs, right? It used to be, when I went to college, everybody had a landline in their room. They don't have that anymore. Your cell phone costs, your insurance, the, all those other costs. Tuition Fit doesn't account for that because what we want you to be able to do is compare apples to apples and see how your gotcha. price compares with others. Gotcha. So okay. it's really important to keep that in mind.
0: Yeah, because that could be you know, another $1,000, another... $2,000, or, you know, I don't even want to put a number on it. So that's very helpful. Okay. So you're offering this great tool and I'm really excited to see how it's evolved. And, and, um, you know, it's, it's interesting also, cause you don't seem like really, you don't seem really angry today. Um, you see, <laughs> I mean, it's like, I've, I've categorized you as this angry, this angry, uh, pioneer, like you, you <laughs> really are, but you gotta have some, you gotta have some, uh, you gotta have some emotion to deal with the rejection and 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 all of the challenges you faced. So Mark, um, I know you still have that, you know, you still have that, that energy and, um, you know, what is it that's really irritating you right now in terms of transparency, higher ed, like what's the, what's the pain point where, what, what are you trying to fix right now?
1: Well, it just kills me that people can't shop by price. It just kills me, right? Even if we make the award letters totally transparent and perfect or easy, right? Having the award letters be the place where the transparency sits is like me giving you a giant blooming onion from Texas Roadhouse. You eat it, and then like at the last pieces left, then I show you the nutritional content. And you see like, oh, I think I'm about to die, right? Like, right. That's not the time when the transparency is all that helpful. The transparency needs to be at the very beginning of the process. Yeah, and the net price calculators sadly are just not accurate enough in lots of cases, and they're too detailed, so people don't know what numbers to plug in. They put the wrong number in, and they get garbage out, garbage in, garbage out, and then they don't trust them. Yeah, this whole industry is is set up in such a way. Like there's industries that have evolved right around the college search process that benefit from a lack of transparency. They benefit from ginning up fear, right? What do you mean? Like what? Like well, what? let's start with, um, if I'm a predatory loan company, I don't want you to be able to find the colleges where you don't have to borrow anything. I don't want you to see that. I only want, to see, I want you to see the schools where you have to borrow to make it work right and i might even be a loan company that says look we don't want people borrowing too much money because that's not right for them and then the little quietly say yeah and because they won't pay us back and we won't make any money off of them right but those folks don't want true transparency there's a whole other industry of folks who they benefit by People being so afraid that they'll get it wrong, and then say like, "Look, I'm the only one that can help you through this process." And if the price transparency is there, then suddenly it's a lot easier, and they don't have enough else to talk about. It's it's, that kind of stuff that drives me bananas.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I've I've done some work with you know in the financial aid area. I went to a conference the other day, um, and and am going to be speaking at an upcoming conference where you know it's all the different financial aid advisors it's the different lenders and partners and you know what i've seen at least from the lender side is is wanting them wanting transparency you know i've i've seen that so i don't know if that's a shift that's happened as you know maybe regulation has changed or whatever but i've seen the the loan at least the people that i've talked to and and worked with really wanting education and transparency with an understanding that if somebody's making a investment and they need, uh, they need to finance that in a responsible way with a plan and how they're going to pay that back, that there's going to be enough people and enough schools where there's always going to be a need where it can be done in a responsible way and a transparent way. I mean, am I just living in in like on a different planet? Or I mean, like that's how I've that's what I've seen and heard, and that's been my conversations.
1: No, I don't think you're living on a different planet at all. I think that in the loan industry, and, and I've had a lot of interactions with with folks in that space over the last five years, there's a range, right? And it's even shifted from five years ago to now. There weren't nearly as many people five years ago saying, hey, we want transparency because we don't want people to borrow too much. It's a lot more of, of the industry saying yeah. that now, which is great, which is good, Right. But there's also a reality here where I if I'm in the student loan business, I don't want nobody borrowing anything because then my business doesn't right. happen anymore, right? Right? So, right. and I'm not opposed to borrowing, right? At all. I'm just saying right. the, at some point, transparency starts to rub up against other interests. And I would be much happier if we were all far more able yeah. to just put that stuff out there early and often so that everybody understands exactly where they're playing and where interests align and where interests don't. Absolutely. You know,
0: and I look at that and I say, you know, we've got the federal government, and this is a whole other conversation, but like the parent plus loans and and you know, the federal government offering parent plus loans is is, you know, I don't see a big difference between those loans and private loan companies and the federal government is offering you know these these big loans and then it goes to well you know the schools are then partners in in this and and what are the schools doing in terms of a return on the investment and how are they helping with employment and how are they making sure that students don't take out too much to get this product because the schools are are equally contributing to this, you know, I, I think it'd be cool if, like, there was some something where a school would would have some type of like, when someone enrolls, they have a financial profile that says, here's here's what it costs you this year, here's what's going to cost you when you leave, here's what your payments are going to be, and um, there, there should be some type of education or understanding so that everyone involved knows what the
1: risks are. There's certainly a complicity issue here in this. And and part of that is because of, you know, sort of over time, this marketplace has, the ground has shifted underneath it. 40 years ago, when the sticker prices was what what most people paid, we didn't have this conversation. We didn't have to, right? Because it was real simple, right up front. That's the price tag. Okay, is that a school I can afford or not? Nope. Okay, done. Now we've shifted to a very different scenario. And a lot of things you just described they actually happen, but they happen in July before you start as a freshman two weeks later, right? Not a year previous right. when you were just starting to make this process go, right? Just so you, starting to navigate it. You've seen because I
0: haven't seen like I've talked to a bunch of students who have, you know, financed their education. And you know, I haven't seen them, you know, saying that the school sat them down and and they went through a budget of what what's going to happen over the course of 4 years and and you know what their payments are going to be like is that a program that that schools are
1: doing yeah there's it's actually a requirement that any student that borrows they have to get some educating on what that borrowing actually means now the quality of that education maybe that's the problem whether it's you know sort of sort of online thing that i can literally click through in 30 seconds and i don't have to actually answer any questions to show that i was paying attention like yes that's where those issues lie the quality of the educating isn't great and it's so last minute right it's not like oh i'm learning something i guess i should change my mind and sorry i'll disenroll and go to the community college like that's not yeah it's again the timing of it is backwards yeah. Well, I'm
0: going to do that. I'm going to do, I'm, I'm, I'm working on a video that just talks about like, just answering these questions in a way that students can go through this families can go through it. So they just have an idea of like what this is actually going to mean and start doing it early. That's, that's one of the things on, on, on my list because it's very confusing. It's, it's, Probably. it's very difficult and um, I'm grateful that you're doing what you're doing. Let's finish this off with something hopeful, and something that really makes you feel good. What's, what's making you feel good, Mark?
1: Well, I'm seeing more people find colleges that fit their price range and as a function of the work that I'm doing, obviously. So my, my cert, my sample set is biased, but I'm seeing more and more people say, you know what? I didn't realize this was a marketplace. And so now that I'm entering it with that mindset, I'm empowered and I'm, just gonna say, I we need prices. We need schools that are gonna be in this price range, and then it's so much less stress. So yeah. I, I'm finding that to be really empowering myself, um, and I'm really encouraged by that. I'm seeing more and more colleges and universities decide, you know what, we really do need to just adopt a different version of transparency. Yeah, yeah. And it's coming, but it's slow.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm going to I'm going to use tuition fit this year. I got three kids and, you know, I'm dealing with this with my my rising senior. So I'm going to do this and can I give you honest feedback? Please. Absolutely. <laughs> I will. I owe it to you. We have a very, you know, honesty and 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 I I think that's really the foundation of what I what I do. You know, like I'm right. genuine. I really am the real deal, and I know you're the real deal, and I'm so grateful we can have an honest conversation about this. And uh, I I know that there's probably some things that would help you in terms of your goal and your mission. So for anyone listening, who's enjoyed this conversation, who's interested in tuition fit, or for anyone who's interesting, who didn't, who's who's listening, who didn't enjoy the conversation, because um, whether they enjoyed it or not is, is irrelevant. You know, hopefully they enjoyed it, but also, if they didn't enjoy like, it, feedback, feedback is We right. just, right. Because like, we're great at rejection, the two of us, you know, I'm at the punch bowl too, man. Like, at the party, you know, because I'm socially awkward and I like talking about, I got a lane and a role that I like to play. So, in terms of tuition fit, in terms of people listening and you needing help or wanting something, what would be helpful for you and for tuition fit and for anyone who's making these big decisions?
1: Well, it would help, help the, pr- it helps everybody to participate in this project, right? So, if you've, if you've, if you've already gone through the process, It's the summer before heading off to college. You've got some financial aid offer letters. Put them into tuition Fit. It'll take you 30 seconds. You might not even care what the data shows you because you're already good and and on your way, but it will help somebody else. And one of the things about this process that I know is sort of mind-numbingly frustrating for you and for me and sort of everybody who does this is that information and knowledge learned by families that go through it doesn't get passed on very well to the next cohort Mm -hmm. right a family goes through this by the time their kids graduating from high school in june they're like i think we kind of actually understand this thing now i wish we had known all that stuff a year ago and then that information that knowledge never gets passed on so every year it's the same cycle of sort of groundhog's day over and over so if the public can start participating in passing on what they've learned, we can really help some people and I think change the nature of this system that will make our whole society better.
0: Yeah. That's great. So taking your financial aid offers, going to Tuition Fit doesn't cost any money to share that. Right. And to um and to get the information for people to to get a sense of what their what the true cost would be. Does that cost money for people to get that data?
1: Nope. Upload an award
0: letter, free to see whatever you need to see. And then if you're someone who's um, a junior or senior, you also can get access to that without paying a a fee.
1: Right. You can go on and for free, you can see lists of schools organized by your price range. If you want to see more granular data, you can pay 50 bucks to see it. But at that point in the process, you might not need to. Right. Right. You're just trying to find tell me the schools that are in my price range and don't let me fall for a place that's 40 grand more. That's you're all I rotten,
0: need. You're a rotten salesperson.
1: I am a rotten salesperson. <laughs> this is <laughs> true.
0: This is <laughs> hey, true. I got this. I've got this additional information that you could pay 50 bucks for, but but you know what? Don't do it. <laughs> but you can, and it's nice. I mean, that's you can. This this project helpful. has always been about fixing something
1: bigger than ourselves.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. This is great. This has been fun. Hey, is there anything that we, that I mentioned that you wanted to clarify or do you have any beef with me? You want to clear
1: up while we're here? <laughs> you know, eventually we need to run in, into, into each other again. Um, I'm not sure I was really angry. Um, I would just rather say I was enthusiastic because it was right at the beginning of this thing. And I just had lots to say, but you know, it, I'm, I'm, I feel bad that I scared you off. No, you know, I don't want to mischaracterize you. And this is, and this is also
0: like, you know, part of this being honest, like you clearly are, um, such a passionate person who, who is mission oriented. And at the time when you started this business, you know, you were getting a lot of pushback mm-hmm. from people, you know, you had to be enthusiastic. You were doing something that nobody else was doing. Right. And maybe, you know, I don't know if angry, passionate, um, maybe frustrated, Um, really mission oriented. And today, five years later, you have done something that is remarkable. And I think for me also, like, this is a kind of, it's a scary thing, Mark, because in terms of like, like legitimizing and, and knowing that somebody is, is, is sharing data and information that's reliable and, and accurate. And it's like, you know, I didn't know you and I didn't know of you. And I, and I actually asked other people about you. Um, like I've asked a bunch this of people. This crazy guy. You know, I was just like, "Hey, what do you think of Mark and what he's doing?" And um, I have to tell you, Mark, people really respect what you're doing, and mm-hmm. they are talking about it in this amazing way uh, that you're doing great work. So I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, sometimes I'm a little cautious when it comes to, I, I, I just, you know, I don't always believe people right away i want to i want to believe everyone but i don't always and i want to understand what is their agenda because everybody has a want and a need and sometimes it's self-serving um sometimes it's bigger than themselves and you know you are from from what i've been able to gauge i mean this is a mission it's not about you this is not about tuition fit and mark right this is not about you like you are on a mission just like i'm on a mission and um you know, I think I, I would apologize, but like everything takes time, and relationships are oh. things that we build over time. And um, I hope you're not offended by by me.
1: I'm I'm not at all, and, and I apologize if it sounded like no, I, I was giving
0: I, I, you a little cool. bit of
1: stick. What I do know about me is that I can get pretty fired up about something, yeah. and then I can come on like a tsunami. Um, and for somebody who's you know smart and thoughtful and seen a lot of sort of things that are positioned to look like x but they really aren't yeah. you know you you get that guard up and so for someone like me doing this especially at the very beginning of this project i know i had the same effect on a lot of people that i had on you that was huh so you were you were <laughs> you were probably very smart to just
0: react the way you did Well, I love this because I'm obsessed with rejection, you know, and I love entrepreneurship and startups. And, you know, it's like there are going to be a lot of people who don't understand. Like I dealt with so much rejection initially building my business and I still deal with rejection all the time. And uh, I've gotten a high tolerance understanding that when you're trying to change something and you really are mission oriented, there are going to be people who don't align and don't receive that message when you share it but i think the lesson is if you're passionate about something and it's and it's genuinely something of value that can serve that you and me i have to be patient understanding that eventually the mission will rise above me and people will understand what it is that i've always understood um i don't hold any resentment for people who didn't understand me like i've been doing this for over 25 years and i pissed a lot of people off in the beginning Um, I was when I was um, syndicating my advice column I would reach out to newspaper editors and if the newspaper editors didn't get back to me I would go to like a managing editor or a higher up (laughs) and I realized that was a big mistake because I went to the boss because the person who was the like there was the editor the managing editor the editor-in-chief and I was and I was like really persistent but as a result well I ended up Getting a, I ended up getting a having a syndicated advice column, King Feature Syndicate, nine years later. But I also pissed a lot of people off. So like we are so aligned. I mean, <laughs> not that you not that you pissed anyone off, but like for anyone listening who is passionate about something, you're not going to make everyone happy and they're not going to always understand you because that's just the nature of being someone who changes the world.
1: Right? That story is so true over and over. And I'm sitting here just soaking up everything you're giving me. So I appreciate that, like more than you can, more than I can say, but it's, it's so true. It's so true. Like just at the end of the day, there's been a lot of days where this project where I just am like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And then I'll look in the mirror and I'll ask myself, do I believe that this is actually making things better? Yes. Do I know somebody for whom this helped? Yes. Okay. People need get up and do it again. Right. People need this information.
0: And now with the internet and technology, and the internet's been around for a while, but just in terms of like the information exchange and, and accessibility when it comes to technology, it's harder and harder for people to hide things from others, you know, who are interested. And there's this kind of surrender that okay, we 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 are fighting a battle of hiding information that cannot be won so let's now it's like when when music went to um with napster it's like you know the the music industry fought this distribution system and now then they're like oh now we have to align with it and now where i see tuition fit and what you're doing in terms of transparency now you're in this point where there's alignment and there's Mm -hmm. value because transparency and being authentic is something that's actually has value and, uh the other stuff is kind of a waste of time and and we're not going to be able to win doing that
1: so that's where I see what you're doing it's wonderful well thanks a ton I really appreciate not just inviting me to be on here but I'm loving this conversation and I'm soaking up all the energy so I, I really yeah, you can see,
0: I, go, that. I go I go I, I can get like yeah we've got that like you know I am a I get fired up and um and I just I just go 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 and then I at the end I'm like Whoa, was I too aggressive? Was that too much? Because <laughs> I like it settles out. You know, it's like, oh, dude, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta figure out how to modulate my passion in a way
1: that will be received. Well, when you're working with people, right, and you're working with you know, things like the kinds of that work that both of us do, like it's not some existential sort of abstract exercise. Like the clock is ticking for every one of these individuals, uh-huh. right? And if you're a young person, you're 18, 17, and your frame of reference is, like, I got to get the next thing happening. Like, some people, they just gets overwhelmed. I mean, we see all the the issues now post-pandemic with young people just kind of having to shut down because it's just too scary. And there's so much of a sense that if I get it wrong, I'll end up, you know, a meth head under a bridge somewhere. Like, you know, it's that kind of fear and breaking that fear is, is is it has to happen now it's not like yeah. you know 20 years from now i hope that you know maybe you can go out and see the light of day again no we got to fix this now yeah. yeah yeah it's just a reminder of just you know the
0: this need and 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 simplifying complex problems into very easy easy information that can be consumed and and used in helpful ways and that's what you're doing. That's what I've been doing. I, I was just laughing because like like this whole like mental health, the parenting piece, the you know, I've been I've been doing this for so long and so many people uh, really didn't hear it. And now they're hearing it all these years later. And uh, I'm just so grateful. But it's also like, man, I'm just like, I wanted everyone to hear this before. And and yeah. uh, I think what you're doing and what I'm doing, you know, we're we're just trying to we're just trying to help. And make things better. Yeah. So we'll keep doing this. And I'm I'm happy we can check in and um I'm happy that we could have a really nice, thoughtful conversation. I love this podcast because like this is a newer podcast for me, but like like this is the conversation I'd have with you sitting at a table at a conference.
1: Absolutely. Yep.
0: I mean, this is this is this is it, man. So anyway, I'm really grateful. If there's anything that you think of later on, you're like, hey, you know, I, I wish I wanted to include that. We'll include that in the show notes. Uh, we'll get the links to some of the data resources we mentioned. We'll of course get a link to Tuition Fit. And if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way to get a hold of you, Mark?
1: Shoot me an email, mark at tuitionfit.org. I respond to everything, you know, whether it's uh super happy or very frustrated or everything in between. Um everybody matters. So if somebody has a question, whether it's families, whether it's school counselors, whether it's Independent people trying to help people to college search, I help across the board. So anybody can reach out anytime.
0: That's the best. All right, Mark, thanks for being here. I'm grateful for your time and we'll continue this, this relationship and conversation. And uh, for anybody who's listening, I hope you've enjoyed our conversation. I encourage you to share the Harlan Cone podcast with others and to subscribe. And of course, I'm in your corner and I look forward to being there and continuing the conversation with all of you. Thanks so much, Mark.
1: You bet. It's great
0: to be here.